All right, I'm still on tour. Still got the raspy voice, but we are going to push forward because this podcast must continue. And thank you for joining me. I want to start by asking a question. How easy is it for you to start a website today? The answer is likely pretty easy. But if you think back, the idea of creating a website was really hard. You might need a couple people to help. You might need to learn code. You might need several thousand dollars and several weeks to figure it out. Thanks to a couple folks that you're going to hear from today, websites are are actually easy to make. So I'm not going to give it too much away, but you're going to hear from two entrepreneurs who started a business that not only do I love, but I actually use for our own website. Um, I know them well. I know their story and their jump. And I can definitely understand the pain point of why they created the company they did. And now I believe it's over 50 million people are using their service. And many of these folks are using it to jump. So I'm going to take you inside that story. We're going to hear from these entrepreneurs and we're going to thank them for making a website creation process easy. All right. Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. We are live in the Weebly headquarters in San Francisco, the global headquarters that is, uh, with the founders, Dave Rosenko and Chris Fanini. I'm Mike Lewis. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having us, Mike. Yeah, happy to, happy to be here. Thanks. So I'd love to start uh, where, where most stories start, class projects in college. You're at Penn State, 22 years old. Is that where Weebly was born? So, so Weebly started um, uh, as part of a class project. I was actually in a class, and one of the goals was just to create a web app, right? And that, that was the only goal for the whole class. And so I thought back then, you know, what do people need to do? And, and, and I had this friend, Jordan, who had to create a website for her astronomy class. And, um, and it was just, she was having a hell of a time. Like, it was just so hard. You know, you had to use front page or Dreamweaver and upload to SFTP. It was just so complicated. So I thought, hey, I'll do something to make that easier. And that's kind of how it started. Wow. Did you, you know, what year is this, 2006, seven? So this, this would be early or around February 2006 is when we wrote the first line of code. And at that point, to make a website is pretty brutal. It's kind of a teeth pulling process. Well, what's kind of funny, and I think a lot of stories start out this way, is that it was pretty brutal, except for most people didn't recognize that, right? So a lot of people thought, oh, that's a solved problem. Like, it's so easy, just learn to code. Like, it's not hard at all, right? And it turns out that a lot of people wanted to do this thing, and not very many people actually could do it themselves. Yeah. And I think the, the idea, especially here in Silicon Valley, of taking an idea, dropping out of school, getting funding, and making a big successful startup, a little bit you know, kind of goes beyond some of the points that are actually really important to focus on. What were the biggest challenges when you had this idea, maybe pre-leaving school, taking a pause to go pursue it? What was the biggest hurdle? Well, I mean, I think, for, first of all, the biggest hurdle is just, is just doing it, is just working on it. You know, so we were, you know, I think most people have more time than they think. Right, and we were full-time students. Um, I was working um, practically full-time, put myself through school, um, and uh, you know owned a business. I started in high school. Chris uh, started a business in high school as well, and um, you know the uh, the hard thing I think is initially just working on it, just finding the time to work on it. So we were full-time students that summer. Chris and I were both interning in in New York, um, and uh, we would just work on it that whole summer, and uh, so. 
you know, that, I think, look, a lot of people have ideas. A lot of people um, think that they want to go start something. Not a lot of people take that first step and just get started, right? And so I think the, the hardest part sometimes is just getting started. Yeah. So we talk about this a lot in the community, which is to listen to the little voice in your head. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that first thing that you did to take it from an idea to, to really get it started? Well, I mean, maybe I'll tell my side of the story and Chris could tell his. I, I, I remember, you know, finishing up the class and Chris came over and and I said, Chris, you got to come check this out. And so 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 you got to, you know, we're we're sitting here in this conference room, uh, which is named 116 Beaver Hill, and it's named after um, our college apartment uh, that was 116 Beaver Hill at Penn State. And it's kind of an inside joke to me because this is the nicest conference room in the whole office, and that was the crappiest apartment that you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> seven seven people or eight people in a, in a two bedroom. It was like it, yeah, there was so many people packed into a two bedroom apartment, and. Um, and so, so, so Chris gets there before party starts at 11 p.m. And I say, Chris, you got to check this out. And so music's blasting. And we go to my room. And, and I remember Chris was just like, like, holy shit, this is really cool. You know? and, and, and I don't know if you... It was exciting, yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's the key thing, right? I mean, when you're excited about something and you have someone else that you can sort of bounce that energy off of, right? I mean, that's what, that's what when it all really starts to come together. So it's not just you independently, but I think, you know, for me, it was like I saw this with Dave. And for, for a while, our friends, our common friends, you know, we had, before we met, we had common, common friends, uh, childhood friends, and they would always say, hey, man, you got to meet this guy, Dave. And when they were with Dave, they were like, Dave, you got to meet this guy, Chris. So when we kind of came together, we had that energy. Um, and I think that's what that's what really helped that you know that spark, right? I mean, it was like I, I saw what this could be, and, and was super excited about the technology aspect behind it, and, and just what you know what Dave was working on. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about um, you know getting excited about something, and particularly something that can help so many other people. Like Weebly today was it every ten seconds someone is uh, uh, making a change. Yeah, side, making yeah. a change on their website, and in 2017, just last year. There were 10 million edits on mobile. Did you see any of this coming? Was that was that the goal? Is that all these people you could be kind of enabling to chase their dream? No, I mean I don't think I don't think anyone gets started thinking, you know, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to become. You know, you, you get started on it because it's just because you think it's cool and because you like working on it. You think it's a cool idea and you think people need it and that's how you, that's why you get started. Um, but it is it is. You know, it is through you know throughout the years to continue to improve. You know, to continue to, to, to help more people. I think you know personally, my favorite side is when you think about you know the almost 50 million people. Um, you know, these are mostly entrepreneurs that have an idea, that have something that they're passionate about, and they're trying to grow that. They're trying to make it successful and bring it to the world. And and how you do that today is through a website and an e-commerce store, right? And I think my favorite stat is of all those people who have done it themselves, right? Now half of the United States every single month visits their sites and stores. You know, that's a measure of their success, and that's something that I'm most proud of. Wow. So the real vision was unlocking almost this ability for other people to go do what they want it, through Weebly. It was lowering the bar, right? I mean, if you think back when we started Weebly, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uncommon that you'd pay, you know, five to $10,000 to build like a real website for a small business. And think about the number of small businesses that could afford that. I mean, it was next to none, right? So we were like, man, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better system for this, you know, better where we can leverage technology to make this easier and, and just lower the bar for everyone. And that's, that's, that's what we set out to do. Um, it's funny, I have a, a personal story, and this is not a plug for Weebly. Uh, you didn't ask me to tell it, but I'm going to tell you the story. When I left, uh, I was at a venture capital firm, and I go to play pro squash, I had this inkling to, to start a community, and the first thing I did was buy this domain, and it was wendajump.com, and then a, a, a fellow entrepreneur who is my website database guy, my last company, said, hey, you know, I can help you get this site off the ground, and it's exactly what you said, that the the... the 
the first little step for me was actually just having some sort of doormat when people came to a site and, and engage with it without paying $10,000. So I felt very much so, and we, we're still in Weebly today, we were just talking before we started the show, that we're now on version two of the website, but we still feel like uh, we are able to exist because of the scale you've provided for solopreneurs and jumpers alike. And I tell that to people today, it's like, if you really want to get going on something, I mean, at no other time in human history has it been easier for 10 bucks, 20 bucks to just start. And it's pretty cool you guys are behind that. No, it is, it is cool. And I think, I think there's a, you know, we see it as a movement, right, of people who, um, you know, moving uh, away from the nine to five, they have something they're passionate about, they have something they're, they're, they've been dreaming about for a long time, but it's just hard to get started. It's really hard to get started. And so, you know, what we, you know, aim to do, you know, now and into the future is really, you know, enable people to go from idea to success, right? Enable people who have the idea, who want to build that product, who want to launch it, right? And help them go all the way, you know, into that successful state. Yeah. So going back a little bit to when you decided to go cross country out here to California, you packed up your servers in your car, right? Yeah. So 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 I you know we did. I actually drove out here um, from uh, Pennsylvania all the way out here to San Francisco. <laughs> I'd always wanted to do the drive, and I got stuck in Wyoming for about three days in a snowstorm. Um, so it was a bit brutal getting out here. Talk about you know challenges. Um, you know, eight, eighty is just like a like a, just a thick sheet of ice. You know, in January. Uh, but uh, but made it out here uh, and um, you know sure sure glad we did. Yeah. I took the one way uh, one way plane ticket approach, uh, which was which was scary at the time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Like okay, I'm gonna buy a. I never bought a one way plane ticket before, so it was like this is. I remember that moment. I was this is really interesting. I'm, I'm never been to San Francisco, never been to California, um, and here I am buying a ticket one way there's no return i was can you even do that is it some sort of weird thing where the airline's gonna be like well wait a minute aren't you you don't have to come back and it was like this weird very surreal moment for me um you know buying that one-way ticket saying like this is this is it we're gonna try to make this work right so what did your parents think do you have any stories of that or friends i mean you were doing the thing that kind of everyone wants to do but you're, you're not supposed to do well, it wasn't it wasn't a popular thing back then. I don't think um, it was. You know, two two thousand six, two thousand seven. It was kind of coming off the dot com hangover still, and um, and so it wasn't a very popular thing to do. I think um, you know we we had sort of the way we convinced the way I convinced my parents is is by basically telling them, hey, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish school from out there. So I had a few classes left. I was gonna take the classes, you know, remotely. I'd already set it all up, and so I was still gonna graduate. Um, but but do it from out there and pursue the opportunity, and they and they thought it was really cool. And you you did that, right? You ended up graduating. I did. I, I ended up graduating on time, um, and uh, and actually flew back. Uh, you know, sort of right in the middle of the Y Combinator program, flew back to State College to graduate. That's so cool. Yeah. And I think that's also something we see a lot is that there's something to be said for creating a safety net where it's not like okay, I'm burning the boats, and no matter what, I mean, yes, you can buy the one way ticket, but you also have a little bit of a backdrop before you totally jump, so it's not as you know, just whimsical as it may seem. I think, you know, for, from my perspective on risk, I think entrepreneurs are often optimists, but they're not necessarily always risk takers, right? And I think there's a difference between the two. So we don't, we, we don't necessarily always do super risky things, right? Um, you know, our risk can be very calculated, but we're just very optimistic about the future. It's like, hey, I'm going to pursue this and just, it, it has to work. It, it's going to work, right? And so you just go and you get started working on it. But, you know, I think a misconception is that is that somehow we're just crazy gamblers or risk takers and, oh, I'll just go take that risk and take that risk and, and see how it works out. And that's, that's just really not the case. Yeah. I think that's also something that gets a little bit drawn out of proportion with pop culture and social media. Maybe 10 years after you guys, you know, kind of trailblazed in many ways, that drive cross country, moved to California, 
people don't necessarily see that what I call the unsexy steps that go into starting a company, right? Well, I mean, there, there's there's so many of them. You know, we used to. Uh, I mean, we 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 basically lived off of um, you know twenty thousand dollars for four months, you know, that, that was barely enough to make rent and, and get really cheap food. You know, we, you know, when we, before we graduated Y Combinator, um, you know, we had less than a hundred dollars in our bank account and, you know, we were like, okay, we just paid rent, you know, but rents, rents due again in about three weeks and we don't have money to pay rent in three weeks. So, you know, there was certainly that moment at the end of the Y Combinator program. We said, I mean, it could go either way, you know, it could go anyway. Wow. You know, it's, I mean, we may be moving back to the East coast. Right. And, um, and, you know, luckily, you know, we thought that the odds were good. You know, we we're talking to investors. Luckily, you know, we were able to raise a funding round and it all worked out, right? But, but it could really hang on the balance there. Yeah. And did you see a win or lose situation for you? Obviously, there's something clearly tangible of raising money and being able to keep going. But how did you think about the idea of failure? You know, a lot of jumps don't go the way you think they're going to go, big or small. You start to take a step, it might turn into something else. How did you think of it not working out the way you imagined when you had gone out west? I mean, I'll, I'll say I, I don't think, you know, I don't think fail, failure was really an option, right? I mean, it was just sort of one of those things where um, we were going to figure it out. Right, you know the situation may change that we're in, but we'll we'll figure out. We'll you know we'll navigate our way through it, um, and and that's you know speak for myself here, but I, I think that's that's sort of how we looked at these different situations. Yeah, I mean we were looking. I mean we're we're you know with a hundred dollars left, you know we were looking at hey friends and family maybe you know how we're going to make this thing work out. So there was there was always uh, you know just different ways we we're going to do. It. I think you know to Chris's point, it's like hey we we're gonna we we're gonna hustle and make it work either way. Yeah. How important was being close to the jumpers you were serving, if I can call them jumpers, your customers, mm-hmm. who you built this for? Like this was, they were part of that vision is making it easier for other people mm-hmm. to chase their dreams, which uh, for me obviously strikes a chord given that, that our community with When to Jump is all about giving people that permission. You obviously giving them the toolkit, the physical resources to do it. Um, did you stay close to those people? Did you go and spend time with people that wanted to jump and needed that website, needed that blog, and, and just understand that problem? How did you really solve their needs? Well, I think one, one certainly for us, what was very useful was the community that we were in at the time. Um, uh, so, some have called it the Y Scraper. So it's this building in North Beach. It's a it's a 12 story building, um, and there was a real microcosm of startups back then. So a lot of the startups in the YC program, some startups that weren't, you know, there was probably um, you know 12 floors. There was probably two or three startups on each floor, right? And so there was just a ton of peers that, that it was just completely normalized. You know, this this you know what otherwise might be seen as risky activity, right? For us, that was just normal, right? And that and, and that was this whole building was sort of filled with peers that were doing the same thing. Wow, that's very cool. There's something to be said of just surrounding yourself with that right environment where it's okay to be taking these massive yeah. risks. What could you say to folks who are in the middle of Wyoming and wanting to jump and, and don't necessarily have that type of Y scraper around them? How can they surround themselves with that? I think, you know, I go back to uh, something. I, I gave the commencement address. Um, actually, this is kind of a fun story. I, I, I gave the commencement address uh, at, at Penn State. Chris ended up graduating about four or five years later. Um, I, was so, the, I was the cool one. I was the, the, the true dropout. Yeah, no, for the longest time, you know, you know, I was a boring college graduate. Chris was the cool dropout. Um, and and um, when he ended up graduating, actually, you know, as as uh, as, as you'd have it, I, I was given the commencement address, so I was actually able to shake his hand and give him his diploma um, <laughs> on stage, which is a really kind of one of those unique moments, like when's that going to ever happen again? Um, but, you know, I think the main theme that, that I go back to all the time is, 
uh, uh, to your question is is just mo what most people don't do is they just don't get started, right? They just don't get started. You know, there's a lot of people say, is it too risky? Do I need to get more experience? Do I, am I prepared yet? Do I need to go? It's like, no, you're like the way you are today. Like if, if me as a, uh, you know, 20, 21 year old college student could do it, like anyone can do it. You know, there's nothing special about us. There's nothing special about us. I think most people just get in their own heads of, um, oh, I need to, you know, I need to learn more. I need more experience. I need to go do this. It's like, no, you could do it today. Like yeah. you are fully equipped and prepared to do it today. Um, getting started is not risky. You know, somewhere along the line, you may decide to quit your job. You may decide to right. do all these things that may be, you know, steps that are risky to take. But you, you know, to get there, you little by little, you you just get started. You take a step every single day. You keep at it, um, and and there's nothing risky about that. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the issue is like people, you know, at their core are, are creatures of habit, right? So it's hard You get into, you get into sort of the routine and it's hard to break out of that routine and, and jump and, um, uh, and, 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 you know, do your own thing or let alone think about what the steps are necessary to do that. And, um, you know, for us, I remember pretty vividly, probably five years in, um, people, I mean, it was more than, more than a handful of folks would come up and be like, man, you guys, you're weebly, like, holy crap, you're like overnight success. I'm like, I would laugh, say overnight success if you only knew, like, what the last five years looked like, right? I mean, people generally only see sort of the, the successful pieces of it, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. But to Dave's point, I think, you know, the way you look at it is um, every day, and, and I think we said this before, it's a, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And every day you just take it step by step. And, you know, next thing you know, you, you look back and, you know, you've gone 100 miles, right? Yeah. There's a, uh, a great quote from Brandon Stan, the founder of the Humans of New York Project, and he describes getting on the streets of New York and going to um, photograph someone every day for you know, a year, and then two years, and he was just barely making rent, and he just, that's all he wanted to do is take photographs, because that's what he's dedicated to doing. And he said something to me, uh, and I got to interview him the other week, or I guess it was the other month now, and he said, you know, most of the work you put in will, will come before most people pay attention to you. Okay. And I just think that's fascinating, right? Like you, you see, and we were just saying this when we walked in, like what a beautiful office. You got this big company. Everyone's, you know, you got the camaraderie, the culture, but, but the, the grit of all that stuff comes so far before all of this, right? It's so true. Absolutely. So what comes next for a place like Weebly? Like you, you are now in 2018 where making a website, unlike 2006, 2007, uh, it's a little bit easier. It's not $10,000 a month. There's a lot of competitors that have cropped up. Uh, where do you see the company evolving as you go forward? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, in large part, uh, the world's very different than it was 10 years ago when we got started, right? When we got started 10 years ago, to your point, it, it was this huge, massive problem of creating a website, which in large part, you know, it's, it's, it's not perfect, but it's gotten a lot better than it was back then. Um, you know, today, uh, we see a very similar problem uh, with uh, starting to sell online, right? And so when you look at, um, you know, the world that exists today, you're, you're probably paying someone five to $10,000 to get set up on a platform to start selling online. And it's really complicated, and, and there's so many challenges going from, from this idea to, to success. Um, and so a lot of where we're focused now is on, you know, really helping people who have a product, you know, have an idea that they want to launch, and um, all the steps in between to help them sort of get that idea off the ground. What are some of your favorite stories of, of people who have jumped through Weebly? Uh, you know, one one just I mean I, I've I've so many. One um, one I talked to is uh, you know I'm literally carrying my pocket. It's uh, Key Genie, so it's this guy James in the UK who uh, you know it's almost like a Swiss Army knife for your keys, right? And you just kind of like put all your keys, you organize them uh, uh, really nicely, and um, 
you know, this was a side thing for him, you know, but he, you know, I think two things came together for him. He came up with this really cool idea for this product and he was really great with social media. And, um, you know, he, he went on and, you know, ended up selling, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of these. Um, you know, another one that comes to mind uh, is um, Dharma Yoga Wheel. So two yogis in New York City that come up with this idea for this really sleek, you know, thin um, <clears throat> wheel to support your back in various yoga poses. And, uh, you know, who else would have thought that this was a thing except for the people who knew best, right? The, the actual people practicing the yoga. Um, they brought this to market. Within the first nine months, they sold over a million dollars worth of this on Weebly. So, you know, we could just keep going. Um, <clears throat> you know, Flexi Lexi sells um, yoga wear um, for new moms. She was uh, a kindergarten teacher in Thailand and then gone on, you know, went on to create her, her yoga wear brand. I mean, you know, the stories are endless, but they're just inspiring. And it's just, you know, regular normal people who have this idea, you know, overcome the challenges um, and bring something to market that, that, you know, is an idea that solves a problem better than anyone else has before. Wow. Yeah. I think what's so cool about that too is, is, is the majority of these folks have you know they started with nine to five jobs right where they were they were in an existing workforce um, and they, they they wanted out right they wanted to really uh, pursue their passion and um, I feel like we're we're you know really well poised to like just help them with that and it really excites us. Yeah, that's actually a great bridge into my next question because I think something I get a lot of today is you know what does the future of work look like the nine to five is changing the gold watch at the end of a 30-year career is changing i don't necessarily think our community is around saying you got to go quit your job but i think a lot of people want to feel empowerment they want to feel agency and how they spend their time so hearing those stories that you mentioned to me it's showing how you can unlock you know people's potential and, and what they want to do with their time how do you guys think of the way you know how do you answer that question of what work will look like to people will there be millions of more solopreneurs in 20 years from now? What does that look like in 50 years? Well, I think the way I think about it is that is that the world is effectively moving towards a free agent economy, right? And so it used to be that you'd work at a company for life. Um, and that was not even that long ago. Um, and then it's sort of the time frame became shorter and shorter and shorter. And I think what we're moving towards is that everyone's sort of identifying the value that they add and being responsible for it almost as a free agent, right? And, um, you know, the other thing that's happening you know, almost in tandem, and and um, you know, you know, it's a strange coincidence if it's not related. Um, is sort of this automation um, of jobs that's also coming. So, so sort of, you know, as more and more jobs get automated, right? And and this is going to be happening now. Over the next few years, we're going to see this happen faster than ever before with self-driving cars. You know, with with a lot of other automation. And you know, as this starts coming. Um, you know, that free agent economy just gets more and more important, right? And so what we see our place is, is, is helping people, you know, we know, you know, in, in, in a larger company, the best decisions get made at the lowest level, right? The people with the most information make the best decisions. I see a lot of parallels in terms of what's happening here, which is, you know, look at, look at Dharma Yoga Wheel. You know, no, that, that product would not have been invented inside a large corporation, right? Those are two people who know the ins and outs every day of what they're doing, who come up with an idea better than anyone's ever thought of before, right, for that specific market. I think a lot of that's going to start happening more and more. You know, our goal is to build a platform that enables people now with uh, Weebly Commerce, enables people to create these ideas for products they want to build and solve all the problems in between because it's still too hard. And we want to lower the bar to make that, um, to, to, to make a new movement of people uh, that are doing that. Um, uh, you know, I think it's, it's more important than ever. 
So going to what you said about your decision to jump, it seems like there are two things that came out. One was that it was an exciting proposition, what you were working on. And two, you took some step. You just started to take one step, then another in this eight-person apartment somewhere in State College. And so, which sounds like a good time. I mean, it sounds like it's fun, a lot of fun. Certainly different than the digs we're in here, which is this long, beautiful wooden table that we're in. But uh, is, that, is that what you would tell other people listening to this as they think of you know, taking that first step? Is, it, is that the checklist? Take a step and be totally, completely passionate and excited what you're doing? I, I think it's actually pretty easy. I mean, you, you, it's funny because I, I tell this from, from my lived experience, and then, and then I go and, and, and I read it in so many other places. I think there's really, there's really only two things. There's nothing magical about this, right? It's just that, it's just that 99% of people never do it, right? And, and you know, first, I would just say take that, take that step. Just get started working on it, right? So that, that'll separate you. That'll put you in the top 10% of people right there, right? If you actually, you know, if you have your idea, you take it out of your head and just get started working on it, um, that separates you from 90% of people, right? And the next step, and really, there's nothing magical to this. It's, it, it's just, just don't stop, right? Just keep working at it. It's waking up every single day and taking another step, right? And every single day, some days you're not going to feel like taking another step, and then you just do it, and you keep going, right? And big progress doesn't usually happen in big leaps, right? It happens with you know small in- incremental progress every day. Someday, after taking you know 10,000 steps, you're going to wake up, and someone's going to say, you know, holy shit, like you, you're an overnight success, right? It's like, no, but I've taken those 10,000 steps. And I think if you do those two things, that's what, you know, that's what puts you, you know, sort of separates you from the pack. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I, think, I think one way to look at it too, I mean, at least for me, the way I <clears throat> always frame it when I, when I talk with, with people, um, especially even you know, younger people at school, we go back to Penn State every year and we, and we speak and we sort of, you know, talk about our experience and you know, how much fun it was for us. And I think one of the, one of the things that uh, you need to keep in mind is like, what's, what's the absolute worst case, right? Right? If you were to do X, if you were to take a leap and take a jump and, uh, you know, try out your, your idea or your passion there, what, what, what really could possibly happen or go wrong, right? And what do you have to fall back on? For us, it was, you know, if things didn't work out, uh, you know, we could go live with our parents. We could, you know, go take job offers from, um, you know, other, other companies. I mean, so just think, of, you know, frame, look at that frame of mind, you know, say, well, what could possibly go wrong? You know? I like to think that, the, you know, if you're coming out of college and you're thinking about doing this, the literal worst case scenario is that you've just built the best resume in the world. Right. Like, that's the worst case scenario. You can still go get that job offer. You can still go work at that other job. It'll be there, right? But you've literally just built the best possible resume by going and, 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 and working on your, your, your passion and your dream. Yeah. I vividly remember being in my cubicle, like, weighing all of, literally the bullets of what would be the worst case, what would that look like, and then this fear of not trying was, like, the scariest feeling in the world. Like, as terrifying as, as failure was, the idea of sitting with that idea and not going after it was way more terrifying. So. Alright, that will do it for this week's episode of the When to Jump podcast. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. Anyway, if you want to find us on social, you know where to go, at when to Jump. If you want to find us on our home platform, web-based, it's whentojump.com. The book is out. We are on tour across the U.S., London, Sydney, Dubai, overseas. Uh, just check us out at whentojump.com slash booktour to find out more. And again, if you want to share your jump with us, we'd love to hear it. My name is Virginia Franco, and my jump took place in 2008 after the market took a big, fat crash. 
Uh, I had four kids under the age of eight, and my husband found a job, but it was with a huge, huge pay cut. I needed to figure out how I could make some money without having half my paycheck taken up with child care costs. So I'd been a past social worker, I'd been a past journalist, and I'd done corporate communications. And I sort of pulled those all together to form the career that I have now, which is uh, I have my own executive resume writing company. I help people tell their career story, create resumes, LinkedIn, and help them back get back to work. I love my job. You can record an audio note, send it to jump at mcmillan.com. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you soon on tour. And again, I'm Mike Lewis. I'll catch you next week.